Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Richard, we're recording this on Thursday, November 5th, two days after Election Day. Results are falling into place, but much more slowly and much more confusingly than most people anticipated. And now, I think for you and me, the challenge in these situations is how do you react to things that are still happening, but also how do we add to the conversation without just repeating all the platitudes we've heard over and over again on television and radio? Yes, we've set ourselves a high bar. Reasons to celebrate, causes for worry, our take on lessons from the election. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? For me, this has been the most anxiety-provoking election in memory. And shortly before I went to bed on Tuesday night, I figured out why, Jim. I wasn't working. For the first time since 1984, I was not um, at an election desk or covering a major campaign. I was home on my sofa, just like you and everyone else. Well, I actually was working. I was trying to finish up uh, my column for a commentary magazine that I write. And it's been so hard to focus. I find myself going back to look at the, you know, the results from uh, Pennsylvania or wherever every 20 minutes. You know, I think the anxiety and the sense of uncertainty is something that is really going to be one of the big things we remember about this election. So let's go to our first lesson from the election. The system is working for now. Respect it. Be patient. Despite the very slow pace of tabulating the votes in some states, the election count and polling on Election Day went better than many people had expected and must be allowed to continue. The vast turnout as well is really a cause for celebration. Vast turnout on both sides. Uh, The 2020 electorate, and I think we mentioned this last week, the most diverse and largest in history. As the New York Times editorial board put it the day after the election, quote, there is much to celebrate about our democracy from record voter turnout to creative volunteerism. I would also add that countless numbers of local election officials, both Republican and Democrats, are quietly doing their jobs. And that is reassuring. What isn't reassuring is is President Trump's claims that he won a victory and wants to stop the counting in a bunch of states. As president, 
Trump is supposed to be the principal steward of democracy, but his attempts to stop counting the votes uh, really has to be continue to be resisted. I agree. The turnout on both sides is an amazing story. You know, everybody expected this big wave of of Democratic turnout, but they were surprised to see how much the, the Trump voters and maybe not just his base were were motivated. But on the issue of how the election is going, I think we sowed the seeds of a problem here with the heavy reliance on mail-in voting. Granted, it was the COVID year. There's good arguments for mail-in voting in this kind of conditions. And many states have a long tradition of mail-in voting and know how to handle it. But anything that delays the vote count so dramatically that adds so many breaks in the chain of custody of an individual ballot, it's bound to sow distrust even if there isn't really meaningful fraud out there. There's incentives for fraud when, for example, in in Pennsylvania, when Democrats pushed to count all ballots, even ones without postmarks, you know, that are received up to uh, several days after Election Day, that might be fine, but it is an incentive for people to to tinker with that system. So you can't really blame people for being somewhat distrustful or suspicious. I think if if a bunch of Trump partisans were dominant in the election system in your town, would you trust them? No, I wouldn't. And I think it's very important for this process to be as transparent as possible. But we do have to remind ourselves that elections are locally conducted and that in most states, um, there really has been transparency. Uh, Reporters and both Republicans and Democrats have been allowed to witness what's going on. And I think there are actually fewer smoke-filled rooms and less hanky-panky now than there was in many elections past. So on the whole, I think it's been going pretty well, and we just have to be patient and see how this plays out. No question. Our elections used to be much worse, you know, witness Chicago. <laughs> but uh, but we should make them better. We should make them more airtight. We have the ability to do that. And, and you can't just tell people who are somewhat suspicious, oh, how dare you question our integrity, you should set up a good, nice airtight system, as you say. All right. Number two. Reform opinion polls. They were wrong again. Yeah. This year's mistakes were even worse than 2016. Quinnipiac had Biden leading uh, by 11 points right before the election. I think CNBC predicted he'd win by 10 points. Most other media outlets were somewhere in that ballpark or close. Yeah. Conservative pollster Frank Luntz, I think, made a really good point the day after the election, when he said that some of the forecasts were polling malpractice. And his argument is that that a lot of pollsters failed to measure Trump supporters accurately because many of these voters think of pollsters as the elite liberal media, Uh, for instance, ABC News, Washington Post or or uh, Wall Street Journal, NBC. And that's how the the polls are labeled and Trump supporters don't want to help them. And so they don't answer their questions. Uh, Luntz believes that as part of the reforms, uh, part of the how do we fix it is focus groups that um, phone calls may estimate the numbers of Republican or Democratic leaning voters, but they don't measure enthusiasm. Yeah. But as someone who's worked, you know, attended a lot of focus groups and been involved in a lot of research you also have to admit that that's qualitative research. It doesn't really give you numbers. Maybe we all should stop focusing so relentlessly on the numbers. You know, our coverage of elections is so dominated by people who are, are practitioners 
of the fine details of, of how you handle the tactics of campaigning, that's really shouldn't be what it's about. It should be about what are these people's policies and what do they mean for the country? There was virtually none of that, virtually no talk about Biden's policies, for example. So maybe less focus on polls, more focus on who and what we're voting for. Absolutely agree. So let's go to number three, which is stop generalizing. Stop generalizing about black and brown people. Trump used racist language that offended many. But look at Latinos in Florida. And this goes back to the polling problem. Pollsters completely overlooked the strong support among many Latinos, especially those who fled left wing dictatorships in Cuba and Venezuela. And they didn't measure the effectiveness of Republican claims that that may be completely false, that Democrats are socialists, but still had a big impact with this group of voters. Well, can can I just step in? The candidate the Democratic Party was on the verge of nominating until Biden unexpectedly had a amazing, unpredictable surge, calls himself a socialist. And Biden worked hard to outreach to his base, brought a lot of his people in, wrote a Democratic platform that included a lot of his proposals. So if someone who fled, you know, the dictatorship in Venezuela thinks Democrats might be kind of friendly to socialists, You can't just call that a conspiracy theory or a false claim. The Democrats invited that by flirting with the far left of their party. We'll come back to that. But I don't think it's fair to say just because Biden says I'm not a socialist doesn't mean people are worried about a more left wing tilt in. Yeah, I I have to push back against you because the overwhelming majority of Democratic elected officials in no way are socialists. I think you're overemphasizing the power of the socialist wing of the Democratic Party. But I do take your point that Sanders is a self-declared socialist and he was the runner up in in the uh, in the Democratic uh, primaries. But also, Trump didn't just do well with Florida Hispanics. He also did better with black voters than expected. In 2012, Romney only got 11% of the non-white vote. This year, Trump's getting approximately 26%. You look at Texas, these are not, you know, Cubans and Venezuelans. He did really well along the Rio Grande Valley. There was one county, Zapata County, Uh, that broke for Trump by about five points. Clinton won it by 30 points in 2016. Something's going on here that is really new, and we need to pay attention to it. Also, several other generalizations that were made. One is stop saying money matters way more than it does. I mean, Democrats hugely outraised Republicans in a number of races, and it may have helped Biden. But for instance, in South Carolina, where Lindsey Graham was outspent three to one by his challenger, he easily won re-election. Bloomberg kicked in 15 million in Texas. Biden spent six million. None of it worked. Now, one generalization that's that's become more true in recent years than in the past is that uh, all Democrats and Republicans vote in lockstep. There were certainly a number of states where uh, uh, there was very little deviation between uh, voting for Senate, voting for governor, and voting for the president. But Maine was a big exception. I mean, Joe Biden easily won Maine, but so did Republican Senator Susan Collins. 
To me, this reflects the idea that voters weren't just voting for a candidate they loved. They were also, they were voting against uh, a candidate they really didn't like, Trump, but they didn't want to endorse the entire Biden agenda. Which brings us to number four, the woke counter-rebellion has begun. Ooh, that's a really uh, controversial statement, Jim. We'll just take a quick break, come back to number four in a moment. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're back with, with number four, which, which is your most controversial point. So make it again. The, the woke counter rebellion has begun. You know, Trump is incredibly unpopular with most moderates, but he did way better than expected. He couldn't have reached the numbers nearly 50% he got just with his hardcore base. And I think there's a reason. People are afraid. They're nervous. They see riots every night in Portland. They see people see people saying defund the police, promises of these huge, expensive programs, much higher taxes. You know, Biden likes to say he's a moderate. But did you read the Democratic platform? Um, I read large chunks of it. Yes. Yeah, it is extremely to the left and it's all couched in the language of progressivism. And uh, Noam Chomsky, probably the most prominent far left intellectual in America, he loved it. He said it's the he said Biden is the farthest to the left of any candidate in memory. It's a gut feeling, you know, and you could argue it on the on the points. But this is a gut feeling that people are getting. They don't see the party fighting back against, you know, the Antifa protesters and stuff as much as they should. Yes, I know Biden has once or twice uh, or, you know, occasionally condemned that. But they don't really believe he's going to fight that wing. I mean, look at who he picked as vice president, one of the most progressive politicians in Washington. I think they want a firewall against this rise of aggressive far left identity politics that's making them very uncomfortable. I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you. I agree with you that identity politics took it on the chin 
in this election. That generalizing about the Latino vote was absurd. And just putting every person in an identity basket is, is, is a big mistake. I'm going to push back and say, though, that uh, every political movement needs its, um, its most passionate followers. And they very often, in the Republican case, are right-wing or they're populists who support Trump and who are seen by most moderates as being outside of the mainstream. Same thing's true with the Democratic Party uh, in the case of progressives. But they provide the energy. They're the people who, in most elections, are knocking on doors and canvassing or they're making loads of calls. Also, uh, Kamala Harris uh, is definitely a liberal, but the idea that she is is way off on the left it, when she's a former prosecutor, I I, I, str I disagree with. I don't think that I don't think that most uh, Democratic elected officials are far off to the left in any sense at all. And you can make the same case for how uh, supporters of President Trump are well off on the mainstream and are an embarrassment to the party. And I think that that the emphasis on on the Democrats being so far off to the left is is overstated. They almost nominated Bernie Sanders. No, they didn't. Joe Biden, who was clearly a moderate, easily outperformed Sanders. And 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 Bernie Bernie Sanders was not the only other candidate in the race. Pete Buttigieg, not that far off to the left. I mean, we could we could Amy Klobuchar, not at all far off to the left. I mean, we really can debate this ad nauseum. Okay. But this idea that the Democrats have been completely taken over by one wing, I, I dispute that. Well, Noam Chomsky thinks they have, and he's thrilled. So <laughs> Let's okay. move on. You, you, number five, character counts. Richard, why don't you take this one? Yeah. So political nerds like me love to think that politics is all about policy. And to our intense frustration, we are wrong on election day. Personality matters to a huge extent with voters who make the ultimate decision. And almost alone among the leading Democratic candidates, Joe Biden understood this from the start. He made this an election about character, about decency, and it looks like he's pulled it out and that it worked for him. In our media age, um, incumbents have enormous power. President Trump should have won this, and he was handed a huge advantage back in February and March when coronavirus erupted. He could have behaved responsibly. He could have rallied the country to his side. Instead, once again, he didn't. He ignored the science, did the unethical thing of discouraging the wearing of masks to great human cost, making the election about character and decency. Joe Biden understood the electorate better than most politicians did. You're absolutely right. It was his strongest message, practically his only message. And he had the amazing good fortune to run against one of the most unpleasant people ever to have been president. You know, Trump's personality flaws, whatever you think about the policies he advocates or his strength as kind of a, a fighter, which is what appeals to a lot of people on, on the right. But even given that, his his pathological narcissism causes him to shoot himself in the foot and damage the cause that his supporters want again and again and again. You saw it in all these little battles like McCain needled him. He hated McCain. So even after John McCain died, Trump would go out of his way to say bad things about him and his family. Well, guess what? The McCain family is revered in Arizona 
among conservatives and moderates. And now he's losing it. Trump is losing Arizona. He had these battles with the Democratic Senator Ben Sass, one of the most interesting people in the Senate, very independent. He's very popular in Nebraska, but he said a couple of critical things about Trump. Trump called him stupid and obnoxious. Well, guess what? Sass got elected overwhelmingly. Trump lost Nebraska's second district. So he causes a lot of damage because of his own character flaws. Okay, let's go to the final uh, lesson from the election, which is from blue wave to purple rain. Yeah, we're already seeing a lot of revision, like, well, we knew it was going to be close and da da. No, forget it. Everybody in the media was convinced that this was going to be a a wave election that would not only sweep Biden into office with a strong mandate, but wipe out Republican candidates up and down the ballot. And the the Biden White House would have a you know clear support for this whole range of longtime liberal goals of a public option in health care, a Green New Deal, big tax hikes, a very progressive cabinet. You know, people are talking about Elizabeth Warren as Treasury Secretary. So, so it's ironic, isn't it, Jim, that that uh, this result in a way may help. Biden and other moderates. Biden will be under less pressure to put more progressive figures in his party in senior positions. And likewise, moderate Republicans like Susan Collins could have a big influence over uh, what's going on in the Senate. Absolutely. And and I, and or Lisa Murkowski from Alaska is another uh, moderate. You know, they can always vote against their own party, and they often do. So they're, they'll be the swing voters who really matter. If Biden's smart, he will He will work with them. This could form a nucleus for a consensus. But what it definitely means is a lot of the the really pretty radical ideas that were being floated by some very mainstream Democrats are out the window. Things like, oh, we're going to get revenge on, you know, how the Trump's nominations by packing the Supreme Court. And so we're back to a, a kind of uncomfortable, messy middle. But maybe that's a good thing. It, it, it remains to be seen whether it's a good thing, Jim, because as we saw with the stimulus debate, uh, the Democrats in the House were offered half a loaf. They took none. Republicans in the Senate were offered half a loaf. They took none. So this is going to require compromise, compromise by both sides, not just by Democrats, but also by Republicans, and a change of attitude by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who worked mightily right after the 2012 election results were announced to make Obama as weak a president as possible and was 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 very successful. Wait, Obama was a weak president in the second term on domestic policies. Absolutely. They got Obamacare through. Not during the second term in the first term. Yes. But um, don't you think that the our leader, our Democratic leaders in the House and Senate also wanted Trump to be a one-term president? I mean, doesn't every party do that? That quote from McConnell keeps getting cited as if it was some kind of unprecedented attack on a president. It seems well, pretty it was. normal. It, it, it it, no, it wasn't normal. normal. No, it wasn't normal. We had Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan working very nicely together on many issues in the 1980s. Our leaders on both sides had become rigidly partisan. And then this idea that it's only the Democrats who have moved to the left and have become more of a threat in some way to 
to democratic norms. No, it's both parties. And both sides have been more extreme, and there needs to be a strengthening of the middle. I'm hoping, for instance, in the House, where Democrats have a smaller majority than they did last time, that the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans, will pursue moderate policies that may actually get some support. I do think we need more legislation, more measures to be passed through, like stimulus, uh, but they have to come with compromise. Right. Fortunately, what we see here is a little bit of gridlock isn't a bad thing. From a liberal perspective, compromise to get more bills through seems like a good thing. From a conservative perspective, some things are really necessary. You know, um, stimulus for COVID is, is, is necessary. So deadlock on that is bad. But on many other things, I often prefer no bill to a bad bill that's made a little bit less bad because of compromise. It depends how you define bad. It's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And thanks to Miranda Schaefer for, for putting this together and being patient with us as we go off on our various rants. Before we go, Richard, we missed an important part of the show, probably the only part of the show where you, are, where you and I are in 100% agreement. And that's your recommendation for the week. It's Shamika Copeland, who's this great blues singer. She has such a beautiful voice. And her latest album is called Uncivil War, which is a, a call for justice, hope for peace. Uh, the, that's the message. But it's just a really fun set of songs. And she, she sings with such love and warmth and passion. For me, one of the best blues singers out there. Yeah, I've seen her perform. She's a real legend and part of a new generation, probably what you might almost see as a third or perhaps even fourth generation of blues singers in a genre that really was threatening to kind of fade away for a long time. It's wonderful to see an artist like this get such recognition. Happy to be uh, making a suggestion on your turf. <laughs> That's you right. You know so much more about these things than I do. Well, it's kind of my thing, but this is a great one, and I really recommend people check her out. And hopefully, it won't be too much longer. Hopefully, in the spring, artists can start touring again. It's so important that one of the real tragedies of COVID in the world that I've been part of, the music world, is these touring artists they that cannot get on the road. This is how they make their livings, how their bands make a living. And the minute it becomes possible, get out and see these people. I really encourage everybody to do that. Well, thanks for listening to our show. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.